Welcome to the Evidence-Based Pilates Podcast with your host, Adam McAtee. This is your home to become a more fearless and confident Pilates instructor while using science-based strategies, which is exactly why we're going to dive right in. Welcome everyone to this week's episode of the Evidence-Based Pilates Podcast. And I have a very special guest and a, and a good friend of mine here today, uh, the one and the only Natalie Wilson is here to drop some knowledge. Welcome to the podcast, Natalie. Hi, Adam. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have it's great to have you here as well. It's fun because this I would just like talk with you in general. But now we're recording it. So this is going to be even better. Um, so w- there's so many things that you and I can talk about. And then something that we discussed to go ahead and make an episode about was our journey navigating the Pilates industry from our beginning to now, specifically in regards to, to our evolution and queuing. Um, and for, for, so that's like the basis of the conversation, uh, for the listeners out there, but for those that don't know you, Natalie, um, I'd love for you to introduce yourself and, um, tell the listeners your story. Okay, sure. Um, thanks for having me. My name is Natalie Wilson and I am located in Seattle, Washington. I am a Pilates practitioner, I am a Pilates teacher, and I'm also a Pilates educator. And for the sake of this podcast, I am your student, your friend, and your colleague at Breathe Education. Yeah, Natalie's awesome. She's <laughs> an incredible member um, here at, at Breathe Education. So her and I both uh, run uh, courses at Breathe. And um, Natalie, how long, um, I'd love for the listeners to get an understanding of like um, your roots and, or maybe how you got to where you are today, you know, um, te- uh, teaching at Breathe. Where did you start Pilates and like, tell us a little bit about your journey. Yeah, sure. So I actually discovered Pilates, I think it was probably Denise Austin on video. Did, did Have you ever seen those videos, those DVDs? Do, do people remember what I, DVDs I, are? I, I do know a DVD right? <laughs> and pogs and all kinds of stuff, but um, I don't know Denise Austin, but now I have something to YouTube. Yeah. So Denise Austin, I believe is a, is just an all around fitness instructor. And she had some Pilates DVDs that I, w- I was introduced to by an old supervisor. And yeah. so I did that for a bit. And then we moved to Seattle. This was in Portland. And then we moved to Seattle and I had two babies and the gym that I, uh, joined had daycare, free daycare. So I would toss them in daycare and I'd take a Pilates class, a mat Pilates class. So that was my real introduction to in-person classes. There were tons of students. This is, you know, not your boutique studio. It was just a YMCA. And I loved it so much. And it really helped me, you know, of course, Pilates helped me physically, but it really helped me get out of what was likely just long-term postpartum depression and anxiety, just having two small kids. And um, I had recently left my full-time job and was staying at home, which was a huge transition that I wasn't mentally prepared for. Uh, So yeah, Pilates really saved me in a lot of ways. And I was determined to just become a Pilates teacher because I was just so inspired by my, my own transformation. So when my youngest kid uh, started kindergarten and I was free, cause I was still staying at home. So I had two kids in school and at all this time, I, um, I enrolled in a one year comprehensive certificate course here in Seattle. And yeah, that's, that's kind of my, my origin is, is that. That's awesome. It just starts as like baby relief. And now here we are. (laughs) I definitely had that of like, I'm going to the gym just because there's free babysitting. That's exactly Uh, why I was going to the gym. (laughs) It's two hours of childcare. Yeah. So if anyone feels guilty about that, you are not alone. Like do it, use your resources and get your money's worth for your gym membership. Yeah. Um, So, so with that, it sounds like, because if it was like a couple year gap, because they went to kindergarten, probably younger was it a couple year gap between like I, my first time in a class and then becoming an yeah. instructor? 
Yeah. So I was, I, I was practicing Pilates for a couple years before I enrolled in a program, but I started the program around the same time my kids started kindergarten, actually. So we were all in school at the same time. Um, yeah. So that was around 2015 and I, it was a year long program and I started teaching and, and as one does when you're in a training program, you teach right away. That's part of the training is you just get right into it and you jump in and start teaching. Um, but uh, I guess maybe where I should I should finish this story is that um, I'd been teaching for quite a while and just feeling really still feeling really not confident and underprepared and feeling incredibly overwhelmed. And I happened upon uh, Breathe's podcast, Pilates Elephants, which totally turned my Pilates world upside down. And I just became a super fan. And now I am working. That's kind of really how it is. It's just like it started with the podcast. <laughs> Yeah, I had, a, I had a very similar experience with the podcast, like that podcast. Is that right? State. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was just like, oh, I'm not alone. In You're not thing. alone. Yeah. yeah. So I, I recommend if, if anyone's looking for more Pilates podcasts, Pilates Elephants is uh, where it's at. And so, um, so, so you mentioned that you went to like a year-long comprehensive course. And for those listening around the world, um, Natalie and I are based in the States. And what comprehensive means in the States is... Um, that you are trained on multiple apparatus, like a Cadillac, a barrel, a chair. I mean, it, it kind of depends. But is, is that the definition that you would go by yep. here in the States? Yep. Yeah. So it, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't say anything about the education other than you use different equipment. That's, that's, right. that's what comprehensive would mean. Because one thing I've learned about working around the world is like comprehensive can mean seven different things in like seven different countries. Um, so, so you, so you were, so you went to a year long comprehensive program, then there's a gap of like you're teaching and it doesn't sound like it was the best experience. And then you, um, listen to the podcast changes your perspective or, or there's like, I see the light kind of thing, but going back to your program, like what was that program like? Cause like, if you take seven different Pilates programs, you might get seven different experiences. Yeah. Um, how would you um, say yours was in um, the good, the bad, the ugly? All the, all the um, you know, I I shopped around a little bit and I, I have an idea that at least around these parts and around the Seattle area, I feel like the training programs are quite, they're similar in that there's usually an anatomy component. So you, you learn the muscles and bones and joints of the body. And there's usually a very large component of learning repertoire. The way that my original training program taught repertoire was um, segregated. So you learned, so if you, if we look at the hundred, for instance, mm -hmm. I would just learn the beginner version of the hundred and then a few weeks would go by and we would learn the intermediate version and then the advanced version. Things might have changed since I, I graduated from that program. They might now just do one exercise in its fullest expression, but that's the way it was when I originally trained. So it didn't occur to me uh, when I was a baby Pilates instructor that I only learned 30 exercises, not 600, because it was taught to me in, in those, you know, as beginner hundred, intermediate hundred advanced hundred. So rather than one exercise in my mind, it was, Oh my God, I have to remember three exercises. And then I have a whole book of this, you know? So it's just like, it didn't, I wasn't able to, to visualize it in any other way. And that was part of my overwhelm. And that's really just the story of my life as a early Pilates teacher is just feeling totally overwhelmed and underprepared worried about like which muscles go where and what muscles do what and you know like everything I don't know if I want to go down that <laughs> like we're gonna yeah, veer yeah. too far away from our our main topic no, but you know no, that's okay I'm, I'm happy to go anywhere we go so but that's the beauty of a conversation and like you're very easy to talk to we, we just go wherever we just go with the flow so, so with that, it sounds like if I'm understanding correctly, like you were the, what you were learning was made to be more complicated than what it needed to be, such as, um, bend your legs for the hundred was a different exercise than reach your legs up to the ceiling for the hundred. Right. And what about you? What about me? 
Yeah. You've been through several programs. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I only completed one of them. Uh, or 102, because breathe, because we had to do that, right? So I did the cert and breathe. So I did, um, so I've done uh, a classical training, a STOT training. I didn't do the exams. I didn't want to. And then I taught for Club Pilates, so I had to do that training, like observing and stuff like that. And then um, now I've breathed. And so it's been really nice to have like a well-rounded like perspective to be like, I haven't done every program, but like classical, contemporary that says science, but doesn't use science. And then like a evidence-based program. So it's been really, really cool. And in my, my first one was the classical training and I learned Pilates exercises really well, but it's kind of like learning anatomy by like, cause we actually did, we use the coloring books. So like your arm goes here, bicep or your bicep is here, it's on your arm. But I didn't know anything other than that. <laughs> you know, like like I just kind of I just knew exercises, but I didn't know what it was really good for, why I was doing it, and um, or anything like that. But I memorized. It was a lot of memorizing. Yeah. And so, but I was also told a lot of folklore and I wasn't, it wasn't like ill meaning or anything like that. There was no ill intent, but when I look back on it, I'm like, this is just factually incorrect. And that ranges from saying Pilates is an exercise, right? Like that makes no sense. Um, don't use your quadriceps in footwork. Don't, you know, there's a lot of don't use these muscles. Wait a minute. Did you say Pilates is not an exercise? That's what you were told? I didn't say that. I was in a, I paid money to hear that. What was it then if it was not It was exercise? a lifestyle. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. So welcome to the cult. And, um, <laughs> Got it. So, it's just, so anyways, that's a red flag, right? And that's nothing personal, right? It's just like it's sure. blatantly incorrect because if you, you can objectively measure exercise, you do Pilates, you can, objectively, you can objectively measure it. It is exercise, right? So I just wanted to say that to give you a picture of like, like, like it was a good experience. I'm glad I have it. Cause like, I know the repertoire back front, right. Mm, but yeah. there was a lot, there was a lot of missing gaps and, sure. and I'm really glad that I had those missing gaps because it brought me to study exercise science. And as I was studying exercise science, um, I started working in a stat studio as a classical instructor. Working in a stat studio was like a, um, like the black sheep. So I was going to say, it's a whole new education. Yeah. So then, so then I went to like the start, um, and it's nothing against thought or anything. I had, a, I learned great stuff. Like I put on an extra spring. Holy shit. It was great. <laughs> and like studio I was at was amazing. But then there were certain things, which kind of leads to our conversation about cueing of it was, um, how to move like a robot while doing Pilates. So it was like inhale. For mermaid, inhale, reach right arm up. Exhale, bend left. Yeah. Inhale. You know, it's like. Oh yeah, no, that's how I was trained too. Shit. Um, yeah. So then it, you you can be a like I found myself if I like wanted to cue that because I part of me wanted to fit in, I would do it for a little bit and I'm like I'm a robot. Yeah. Um, and, and and so so that's what kind of brought out this conversation is I know like like. Part of our job as Pilates instructors is communication, a huge part of it. And a lot of times our educations, it's well-meaning, but it's more complicated than it needs to be. And a big part of it is how we uh, facilitate the exercises through our communication. And, and so, so one thing that I, I hope people leave this conversation with in a little bit is keep like keeping it simple and giving your students motivation. And then we're also going to talk about how do we handle this? Like with the industry, because when you apply motor learning concepts, like if you apply motor learning research, you're actually like a vast minority in like the majority of studios you're at. Um, that, that's been my experience. Like if I were to use external cueing, I'm bad at a local or weird or weird, right? Very weird being weird, right? Like that's fine. But yeah, so it's just one of those things of like, it can, it can be challenging to apply evidence-based principles when, when you do so and you're less likely to be accepted at a studio from a social point of view. 
Um, but like, what was it like for, for you when you, or for you in your program when like, how are you taught to cue? Because I was taught like internal robotic stuff. Yeah, that's exactly how I was taught. And that was a, a huge contributing factor to my overwhelm is that, you know, on top of me mistakenly thinking that exor- one exercise was four exercises, three exercises, every exercise came with a script, a very long script. It was like every exercise I would be preparing for a monologue on stage. That's what it actually felt like to me. Like I'm an actor by myself on stage and I have to remember all my lines and it's a lot of lines. You know, I, I, I showed you a picture of just one exercise in my original manual and it's like before the clients are even moving, it's like nine steps. That's nine things that I have to remember. And you know, like I can barely after. remember my, my own birthday. And it's just like, oh, I have to remember nine things. Yeah. Imagine how many of those your clients don't listen to. That's right. Well, you know, one of the things <laughs> that, uh, not to take us too far off track, but going back to what you said about simple communication, you know, one of the things that I like to tell our students at Breathe is that attention is a resource like money. And so part of our job with communication is to be a steward of their attention. So that means we can either have them spend their money on listening to our many, many cues, or they can spend their attention on just having an experience of flow and just being free and having movement and just moving. And so there's a budget. And so, you know, like when it comes to cueing, I don't want to spend their whole attention budget like with so many words. I just want them to get moving. And we we actually, that's something that that we insist upon at Breathe because we know that, that that's what they're there for is to, to move. Yeah, no, that's beautifully said. And I love that analogy of it being like a budget and, and things like that. And one thing I just want to highlight is that this isn't like the Breathe way and we're like the Breathe mafia. Um, this is no. uh, based on on um, evidence on right. evidence based uh, literature, and so when you go in Google Scholar and you look at high quality research, this is what the research is advocating for us to do, and it takes educational institutions to adopt these policies for it to be widespread. Uh, so I just wanted to highlight that, just in case anyone was like, "I'm smelling a mafia." No, Google Scholar. Yeah, yeah, it's it's science. It, this is science-based. This is based on science. Yeah. And, and I think what's also like um, important is there's like, it isn't that like science is always correct or that it's some hierarchy, but I think there's importance in understanding it and understanding that. And there's an art to applying it. Like you could apply like all the science-based principles and like confuse the shit out of your student. Um, you, you totally, totally do that. And then there's, but, but with communication, like you mentioned, like the, we don't need nine steps to just get someone moving. And that's in both ways, right? So like, not only is there like a budget for your student's attention, I'm sorry, but I wouldn't listen to your nine steps, Natalie. I'm sorry, it's not personal. <laughs> it's me, it's not you. But it's also like, we have our own capacity. Like, yeah. like anyone listening to this unless you're driving or doing something with your hands like raise your hand if you've ne- like if you've if you have taught like a full day and came home and wanted to talk to no one uh yeah i mean that yeah. actually that actually did happen to me i you know when i first started teaching i i still had small kids and i would teach i would talk for 3 to 4 hours i'm not even kidding i would come home from my shift i would put on my robe I would hop in my bed and I would close my door and I would just stare at the ceiling because I couldn't talk. I couldn't think anymore. And it took me a long time to build up the stamina to be able to interact with other people after a shift because of all the, the, the 20 steps of for every exercise that I was teaching. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, I just remember how like I was when like my parents would come home from work as a small kid. Oh, I had so many questions like, you know, and, and I remember when my daughter was younger, she's 13 now. So she's just like full of sound effects and eye rolls. But like when she was a young, younger, like, like they're, they're usually 
not okay with not talking. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like it's like, yeah. like that's the, like that's a lot of talking. Um, but but point like bringing back to like the Pilates studio, like if you were to give like a I don't know how many words we say in a class, but let's for easy numbers, let's say a thousand words per class. I'd be over uh, underestimating that. So if you use a thousand words per class and you taught four classes, let's say someone did that four days a week. So that's 16,000 words. And I think I'm doing my math, right? I could be yeah, wrong. That sounds now, right. If, if you just used half the words in one class and you adopted that habit, you're saying 8,000 less words at the end of your week which would be 32,000 less words at the end of the month. We can keep going, right? I'm not, not going to go that far, though. Like, you're going to get this. I relaxed. was waiting for you to keep yeah, going. No, no, no. no, I passed the RE, but like, that was it. Um, so anyways, so, um, so my point is like, who's going to have more energy at the end of the week? The person who said 8,000 more words or 8,000 less? And this is only if you're teaching, what, 16 classes. And I know some of you listening are doing like 32 classes. And some right. of you are doing four classes and somewhere in between. So it's, so one, I just want to highlight, like, this is for you, the instructor, like it's actually, it's called the guidance hypothesis where it's actually, it's actually better to not talk as much, especially as time goes on and your students get to learn more along the way. It's a, it's a win, win strategy. However, um, what, one problem is that this isn't necessarily emphasized in educational institutions. So we have to like rebel against an education that we paid for in order to apply this. And I've certainly gone through that journey. Um, like, what was it like for you, Natalie, when like you, you have this like manuscript, I'm imagining like a CVS receipt of the like, CVS receipt is really long. It's like a scroll, but if it's <laughs> CVS of like, a, like how to lift someone's leg right and then how do you go from that and like staring at the ceiling at the end of the day and then start to like change like what was like what was the uh like the spark for that and what was that like for you you mean when i started reducing words yeah just when you started to consider teaching like there was another way oh i don't even really know I, PTSD. Mm -hmm. well, part of it is just, you know, um, I didn't, I didn't retrain with breathe right away. So I also am a, a graduate of the certificate with breathe mm -hmm. where, um, I learned a different way, but I, oh yeah, this is, I feel like I'm digging, I'm opening Pandora's box. I don't even really know. I think, I think what I remember is that there was a transition period where I started to change my cueing and I was uncomfortable with the amount of silence there was because it, you know, part of one of the things I think that we all know in, in the Pilates world is that it is a, it is a community that is steeped in tradition and hold, they hold tight to their traditions. And one of the traditions I do think is that this just quite wordy. Um, and I was actually trained to not leave a lot of airspace. That was part of my training is that was too much dead air between your last cue and this cue. So I think for me, part of my transition to doing something differently and, and cueing a little differently was learning how to sit with more dead air and being okay with that. And that was tough. At first, it was really tough because I was also still teaching at a studio where everybody else was doing what I was trying not to do. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that I've answered your question, but that's how, what that's, that's what I remember most about my transition to doing something different was forcing myself to shut up every now and then, and then forcing myself to sit with that discomfort in real time. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, no, I think you answered the question beautifully um, and, and authentically. For, for me, um, I had um, a similar experience, but different experience. I was teaching mostly one-on-one -on -one at the time, and I was like pretty much by myself um, in the studio. So um, 
So that was like the scenario. I didn't really have like the instructor next to me that was so different. So I had a lot of autonomy, which was uh, partly good and partly not so good. And, and I remember, um, so I was taught like a classical education, like we weren't allowed to have music. Like music oh, yeah, no. was, music no. was no, a big no-no. How could you not exercise and do the lifestyle, right? Because it was an exercise also. But, um, so, so, but I was taught very internally cues, right? And, and I helped a lot of people, right? I helped a ton of people, right? With the, with the way I was cueing. And so there's so many ways to help people. So anyone listening to this to be like, what the hell? You are helping people. And then this is just how, like, how can we do so more efficiently? And so I remember I was going to Cal State Long Beach studying for my exercise science degree. And I took a class called motor control and learning or motor learning and control, one of those. But the first day, right, we had paper. It wasn't even PDFs. They actually printed out paper and they put a paper on our desk and it was, uh, it was a high quality paper. I think it was a systematic review on what's called um, focus of attention, which means where are our clients thinking? Right, like when we're when we are facilitating movement, are we telling them to think about their body? That's an internal focus of attention, or are we having them focus on the task or something outside of the body? That's called an external focus of attention. And I was like, well, duh, you want them to be in in tune with their body, mind body connection, and, and all of the things that I was really attached to and helped a lot of people with. And anyone listening to this, you're also helping a lot of people. And then it was actually saying do the opposite. So I had this like existential crisis front row in this lecture because I was like, I'm going to get an A front row. And I'm reading this paper and it's telling me that what I'm doing is wrong. So I go through like my own crisis, but um, I had to pass the class. <laughs> so like, I had to keep reading, right? I couldn't just be like next, right? And then I, as I started reading and learning, I started thinking about what was, what was the origin of my belief? that I had to go, I had to get people to think about their bicep to bend their elbow. I was like, oh, someone told me to do that, right? But then I saw like when they were testing it, that wasn't really that helpful. And so it was really helpful to, to have like evidence from a respected source, like a professor um, to do that. So then I just started applying it. And guess what? When I told, when I didn't tell people like um, pull up on your quadriceps or pull up on zip your inner thighs, that was a zip your inner thighs for footwork. It had to be a zip. Oh yeah, I, I know thighs. that one. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, and so, so that one too, because <clears throat> that was straightening your knees, I guess, because um, <laughs> the quads weren't doing it. I didn't have to say that. I just said um, push the bar away, right? Or I said like um, keep going things like that. And then my clients, they kept doing footwork. Like you couldn't, like if I was on mute and you couldn't, like you could, like you would not tell a difference. Like they're still just exercising. So it, it kept, it kept happening. And I was like, so you're saying I don't have to do all this labor and they're still exercising. So that, I mean, for me, I kind of had that epiphany. And then I started going, and I started working at Club Pilates, where I still had a lot of autonomy. Um, but I would get a lot of those questions from clients specifically, like where, what muscle should I be using? Right. They notice when you're doing it differently. The clients do notice. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. What, what's that like for you? Like when you, like when you start to make that shift, like, um, and, and we still like, like that, when you're, when you're applying something new, there's less confidence in it. Right. So it's so when you don't have as much confidence, when someone questions you, that can fall apart. Your confidence can fall apart really easily. And that happened to me a bunch of times. Um, what was it like for you when that client's like, what should I use to lift my leg? Yeah, you know, well, in, let me answer the first question, the confidence part. I, I was unsure and feeling very self-conscious. But one of the things that I had on my side, and I actually was just talking to another student about this is, what I had on my side was that these were clients who already I had built a trust with. So, so they trusted me. So that was really helpful. You know, that they, they, they were like, we're going to do whatever you want us to do. I just, I'm curious as to why, you know, you're doing it this way now. So being able to be authentic with them and just say, you know, I'm just trying something out new. Um, there's this new style that I'm learning and, um, 
this is how they do it. And I think it's going to work out better. And science is saying that it's going to work out better. So let's do it this way. So that's my first answer is that I was really lucky because I've, I've been working at the studio for a long time and I continued to work in the studio while I was retraining. So they were my test bunnies and um, I just kind of went with it. But yeah, I was feeling very self-conscious the entire time. It took me a long time to um, stand on my own two feet and feel really good about what I was doing and feel confident about it. Uh, but when clients ask me what muscles should I be using? I always just turn it back around to them and just say, where are you feeling it? And when they say, I feel it here, I'm like, perfect. That's where you're feeling it. I love it. Other people, and 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 sometimes I'll just volunteer other people and say, where are you feeling it? And they'll say, well, I'll feel it here. I'm like, that's great. That's your body. Yeah. And usually that's that. the end of that. <laughs> what about you? <laughs> what do you say when people say, where should I be feeling it? Yeah. Well, I think this is a really good conversation because there's like, there's so many ways to do this correctly. And, and I hope that at one of these like lands for someone because it's, it's challenging. And I love how you, you demonstrated your, the importance of like your relationship with your clients and how they trusted you. And it's called a therapeutic alliance for anyone listening. And like just having that is like such a gift because they didn't shut you down. Like they accepted you. Um, and, and also I like how you reframe it back to the client to be like, well, what's your experience like And your experience is valid. Yeah. Right? Like you're, you're good enough. You're doing, you're doing Pilates, right? Yeah. I think that's like, should be the name of the episode. Like you're doing Pilates, right? Um, so, so just teaching them that, um, for, for, for me, like I, like everything that you mentioned a hundred percent could be like, where are you feeling it? That's awesome. Right. That's super common. Sometimes like there's that personality, that personality. Oh yeah, like, I know. The one that's like, you're the expert. You yeah. tell me, right? And that's where it's really valuable to know how to internally cue and be like, I know exactly what to do. I just also know why I'm not doing it. Yeah. Right? Or to know your anatomy. Like I know what's going on in the body, you know? Like, so there's a ton of value in it, even if you don't cue it, right? It's like, you don't have to share all of your knowledge that's the key of it. Like obtain the knowledge. Awesome. But you don't have to share all of it. It gets confusing. So like, let's say um, scooter, right? Scooter on the reformer, you're hinging forward. We have like half a spring or one full spring is pretty common. You're kicking back and clients are like confused because it's like some of them feel their left, their inside leg and some of them feel their standing leg, right? Mm -hmm. And now it's like, where am I supposed to feel it? <laughs> So like 2012, Adam, like three years into teaching, um, would have said, you're supposed to feel it in your standing hip. That was just my thing. And, you know, we need to square off your pelvis because that's going to go ahead and work your glute medius more. Because I could, yeah. I had an MRI in my eyes and I could see. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. We all had MRIs yeah. in our eyes at that yeah, time. We <laughs> right? so were just confident, right? Being confident and saying something is not the same thing as being accurate. Um, so it's confident in that, right? And I was like, boom, right? And people agreed with me and I was like, yes, I'm right. Now, like the 2000, like maybe like 18 plus, Adam, like after um, the motor learning, after learning that, the way I'd handle that, is, one way to handle that is um, for that personality. That's like, I need you to tell me, right? I need to satisfy that within them. You know, I'd say, oh, well, like, it's really common to feel it in like the standing hip, right? Like somewhere over there, it's really common to feel that. But then sometimes when I do this, I actually feel my inside leg, like on the front, right? So this exercise is really awesome for both. But then um, it's also really common. So if you're starting to, if you're feeling your back because you're hinging forward, that's awesome too, because your back's working. You know what I mean? So it's like, if you just know, like, I know that 98% of the people are either feeling it in their inside leg, their standing hip, or maybe their back, or maybe their core. I don't know. I know the spots, right? That's the knowing the anatomy and the internal cueing. But I'm not going to tell you you're supposed to feel it there. But if you're insisting on me doing it, that's how I'd navigate around that. And so it's like, so my point is like, everyone wins. So like yeah. after that, no one's like, I'm doing, well, maybe the person with the foot cramp is like, I'm doing it. 
I've had a foot cramp in that. Like it's just my big toe. It hurts. Um, so my point is like, it's a way of like, how can I satisfy that need and let everyone know that they're doing it right? Because your clients are exercising correctly. And sometimes what's incorrect is our understanding of exercise. Um, and that's okay. And that's just a place for us to grow. And I think a lot of that, that's where like queuing more general really comes in, in handy. Because um, you're the more general you are with your cues, the less likely that you're wrong. I hope you're enjoying this week's episode. This is my way of giving back to the Pilates industry. This industry has given me so much in my lifetime and you can give back to the industry as well by giving this podcast a five-star review, which allows us to reach more Pilates instructors. When we reach more Pilates instructors, we can have more of an influence on the Pilates industry and encourage the industry to grow using science-based tools. This is actionable right now. You can pause this and give a double tap on the five stars and it can have an incredible impact. But with that, let's get back into the action. Yeah. Well, and I like what you said about, you know, there's so many different ways you can do it. Um, one of the things that our friend Anula, she's, uh, yeah, shout out Anula. I take classes from her and I, one of the things I absolutely love that she says is, um, there's no wrong way to do it. And that is so validating. I was, I I'm so, I love that cue so much because when I started taking Pilates, there was a lot of correction and there was a lot of insistence that there's a certain place you're supposed to feel something. There's a certain way you're supposed to do something. There's a certain way it should look. And to be able to be taught, um, and teach, in a way that is validating and that is validating of individual individual differences and body autonomy is just, it's, it feels really good as a practitioner. I say this as a student to have my teacher tell me, I want you to try this. There's no wrong way to do it. It's so, it feels good. I say this because it's, it happens to me when I take class from Anula. So it's something that I, I like to say too, because it's just so empowering for people to be able to move in a way that makes sense for their bodies. A hundred percent. And that's like yeah. promoting autonomy and like facilitating early success. You know, that's the, that's one of the best things we can do for our, our clients is have them have a successful experience. And then that doesn't mean just like go easy on everyone because like, that's the, how you start. So like, you can't do it wrong, right? Everyone wins. And then you present challenge and it's like, Hey, if you want to try it another way, extend your legs out for the hundred kind of thing. Um, so it's like that balance between like early, like facilitate early success and then present challenge. And one of my favorite cues ever with the new, I think I was like laying on the couch, you know, the couch scroll, like where you mm. go on through Instagram, it was like, yeah. I don't know, 2000 something. And, um, she was teaching someone to do like a squat, like they were just supposed to sit on a box. And now this person was like excited to take class with Anula and Anula was like, sit on the box. And then they're like, well, how, like, how should I do it? And she's like, uh, like how a human sits on the box. <laughs> of course she would say that. Like her nonchalant way. Yeah. Um, I can't quite model it, but it was the point of like, I, it, it's kind of like, a, I don't care. Like just do it however you want to do it. And then that's where like understanding, like, you know, how to present more challenge in an exercise can, can be really helpful. And, and so, and so I hope that that's helpful for people to hear, like, these are like different as, as people grow in Pilates, a lot of times are in, as people get more familiar with how to apply science to Pilates, we end up actually simplifying things a lot. Okay. And a lot of that is like in this conversation with queuing, we end up saying a lot, a lot less. And that is not a, uh, it, how do you say this? It's not a weakness for someone. Like I don't have anything to say. It is knowing how to be really efficient with your words. And so if you want to tell someone to stand up, what's the least amount of words you can use? For me, I would say stand up. Right. Yeah, that's about like, it. Yeah. Instead of like <laughs> inhale, 
Exhale, like push your diaphragm up because they don't they don't know what direction their diaphragm goes up probably like what direction it's supposed to go and exhales it just happens and then push on the floor use your quadriceps come up but don't lock your knees you know stuff stuff like that and it doesn't have to be that way and so and so for for anyone listening to this like how do i apply this like just consider like whatever your cues are like and it's not a criticism just a curiosity whatever your cues are how can you say the same thing with half the words? Just as like an exercise. And, and, and you could just practice that on like one exercise, like just for footwork. How can I, next time I go in, cue footwork using half the words and just have that experience and then compare that to like when you use double the words and then make an informed decision. So this isn't like a dogma, this is the way. It's just an idea that's supported by, by um, the consensus of motor learning research. Um, but like part of this that we mentioned was being like the elephant in the room. I've certainly been that um, in a variety of conversations within a Pilates space and it takes courage. So shout out to anyone who's applying that and we're here to support you if you would like tools to do that. So um, I guess I'll hand it off to you, Natalie, in terms of like, when we start to apply some of these things that go against the grain of the, the, the current vibe of the studio, we're talking less, we're telling people external cues, not cueing muscles. How do you handle that? Or, or, or what kind of advice would you give to a, a fellow instructor? I think it just depends on, uh, on the situation. You know, I think sometimes, well, one of the things that I think a lot of people go through myself included is when you learn something that's revolutionary, you just get super excited and you become a missionary and you want to just like <laughs> proselytize and shout from the rooftops, like I have a better way. <laughs> Listen to me. Um, and I have since calmed down quite a bit. I don't, I don't bring attention to myself and the way that I teach because I do teach differently, quite differently um, at my studio and the students who are the clients who come to see me, they see other teachers as well and they notice, right? They notice a difference. I don't usually talk about it and bring attention to myself unless it comes up because I don't want to have an unsolicited, <laughs> I don't want to give an unsolicited lecture. But if people ask, I will say, I will bring up things like, um, motor learning principles and, you know, some of the things that, that are so ingrained in conventional Pilates, things like internal cueing and alignment and things like that. Those are objectively speaking, those are not necessarily the most effective ways to teach movement especially to beginners, right? Like with beginners, it's, it's like the, 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 the analogy I like to give is when you look at toddlers who are learning how to walk, we don't stop them at every step to say, can you stand up taller? Can you make that step smoother? You know, like, can you stop looking like Frankenstein? Like we don't do that. Um, we just cheer them on and we catch them doing something almost right until they can do it all the way right. So. I, I feel like I'm going down a rabbit hole. I'm not answering your question again, but, no, it's better. <laughs> but I guess, I guess to answer your question, you know, like how do I navigate that and, and explain myself? I guess my, my first response is I don't actually explain myself unless people ask. And then if they do, I will say, you know, there's, there's really, really good research, uncontroversial research, a ton of research that says people um, learn more effectively, especially movement when you're, when you're giving simple cues, when you're focusing on the movement outcome, when you try to bring their attention away from their bodies. And, you know, when we talk about muscles or breath or, um, use internal cues, we're bringing that focus back inside. And for me, sometimes what I find the, the experience that I've had with my clients is some of them get really, really caught up in those details. And then you can see how choppy their movements are. So we, if we talk like robots, they act like robots, right? So that's one consequence. 
the other consequences when you start to like try to flex your anatomy knowledge and try to sound super smart, some of them don't give a shit. You know what I mean? Like, have you met those clients who are just like, I don't know what my freaking tricep is and I don't care. Can we please get going? And I'm like, oh, you don't. Oh, okay. <laughs> Let's do- I'm sorry. <laughs> so to me, that's, that's the experience that I've had is just like some of them get too caught up in the details and I don't give them a good flowing experience. And some of them don't give a shit. <laughs> there you go. Like, <laughs> drop the mic down. Uh, so, so yeah, and it's you know it's I like your analogy of like the um, the toddler walking. And one thing I want to highlight with that is the importance. Like one of like something in the research. And I'll put it in the. But by the way, um, there's a ton of research in the show notes for anyone if you're looking for resources. Um, that's like, what evidence are you talking about? There's, I put high quality evidence, including this trial. And so, so there's, there's a, uh, evidence that, that suggests that when we give feedback after good trials, that, that people learn better and they also perform better. So rather than like cueing when someone does something wrong, right? Especially if it's obviously wrong. Cause when I was taught to cue, it was find the error and talk about them and then fix the errors. It's really yeah. mechanical thinking, right? It's like how you fix a computer, right? You find what's wrong and then you fix it. But we're working with humans who are having a human experience. So so like when, when a toddler is walking, right? Think of like what you say when you see them take a couple of steps and they fall right on the diaper. Then they get back up, right? And they're like so excited to like go, you know, explore the world you celebrate the steps, right? You encourage them to get back up. You know, like they think they in our, our voice is very friendly um, rather than like, you fell, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. Like here's, you wouldn't be like, here's how not to fall. Mm-hmm. You'd be like, here's how to walk. Yeah. Right. You know, or you, or you say nothing and it's like, they'll figure it out. Like that's how I was raised. It was like, oh, let's figure it out <laughs> kind of thing. So point is like, I just wanted to share that analogy of like, also focus on like how, what we do in that situation um, with, with a toddler. And it's, it's, that's, that's a motor skill. That's just a motor skill for like a one-year-old, typically a one-year-old. Now, when we we're going like into the studio and, and we're having that like moment of I'm an outcast, I also take the strategy of just teach anyways. And um, you don't have to bring attention to it. But sometimes attention is brought to us. And that's where it's helpful to know how to navigate that conversation. Of uh, Clients, I think, are easier. We kind of talked about that, where it's like, oh, where are you feeling it? I'm learning a new thing. And there's a, there's a um, therapeutic alliance a lot of the times. And there's also a power differential, right? If we're being honest, there's a power differential. It's different when a client asks you versus a, a peer or a colleague or a, a supervisor or a hiring manager. Yeah. So like like a good one is like a hiring manager. I think that's really valuable because like, I don't know about you, but like with Pilates colleagues, like I don't like, it's a pretty lonely job. Like I, like I, I remember like not even seeing my coworkers except for the holiday party. Um, so like there's a lot, there's, it depends on where you are, right? But I think like the hiring manager, like everyone could um, relate to in terms of like one-to-one conversations or more people can relate to. Like, but I'm happy to talk about both. Um, With like the hiring manager, like if a hiring manager comes up to you and like you just did like maybe your audition or you were hired and they they got feedback on your teaching. And part of that was like they noticed you're not cueing the muscles. Right. We want to tell people the muscles in the correct alignment. And they and they and I imagine that that uh, manager is coming from a good intent and in that they're trying to do their job and they want everyone to be on the same team. They want to build the business and things like that. So they have good intent. Um, one way that I would navigate this, and I'd love to hear your perspective, uh, Natalie, as well, is is to to come at is to mention like, oh yes, like I'm familiar with that, and I've been taught that way of teaching, and and I and as I've as I've continued to learn, as I've continued to learn, I've I've really done some research on how to communicate with people, and there's really high quality research that's asking us to um, to cue in a really more simple 
and more simple way and to focus on the task. So I'm just applying this, um, the science that I've been uh, learning and I've been having, having some great results from like this, this student, I would just pull on like my favorite students kind of thing. Like they're having a great time. And then also that's where I have the, the um, articles in the show notes. If your supervisor is willing to, you could be like, Hey, I'd love to like send you like this paper. And this is where I'm getting this from. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Now that's where you get to find out if you're in a good location or not too. Cause sometimes this happens and it's like, Oh, I'm just in a really bad location. So if they're like, no, teach this way. Then you have to consider who do you want to work for? Um, that's where my personality would come in and find somewhere else. But sometimes they're willing to kind of learn more. And I think that could help facilitate that conversation uh, with a hiring manager because there is also a hierarchy. Um, but, but I'm curious, like Natalie, like if you can relate to that at all and also like what you would add or take away um, from that approach. No, I really like that. I think you are, um, you are an expert, Adam, at being able to create those bridges between the old style of doing things and what I would arguably say is a different or a new style of doing things. Um, you know, I just, I, I have not had to have hard conversations or awkward conversations. I think a lot of times people are so curious when they see me teaching that a lot of it is just out of like, huh, that's a really interesting way. Tell me about it. And so, yeah, I, I, I would do, I, I would do exactly what you would do, which is to just say, you know, there's some really awesome, well-established research out there showing that this is a great way to teach. And I've had really good results. In fact, one of the things that the way that I learned for myself, that external queuing was really good is that during the pandemic, um, we didn't, I didn't teach very much at all in the pandemic. So when I was going through the breathe cert course, I needed practice teaching people. And so I was at the time I was teaching some of my, my cert friends online, but I was also teaching my kids and my husband. And so I was able to do external cueing with them and it just worked so much better. I had something to compare it by. Right. So I was originally trained with internal cueing. So I did a lot of that. And the difference was really, really profound, like going from internal cueing, teaching beginners who really just had very little body awareness and spatial awareness. I'm talking about my husband and my children. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then using external cueing, I was able to see for myself in my own experience, how much more effective it was, you know, to be able to not worry about muscle engagement and core activation and all those things and just say, bring your waistband closer to the foot bar. Now just push. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't change how you would do it. That's how I would do it too. Yeah. And I, and I feel like this is a, like, I can relate to you in the sense of I, or what I thought you said of like, don't really have these conversations too often. I think if there was a time when you have a conversation is if you're trying to get hired and yeah. they're like doing like a vibe check or not, or like, like they're trying to check your skills. Are you a good fit and things like that. And that's where it's really helpful to have like something to say. And, and anyone who's listening to this, we've also put in um, like a, like a script that, that you can use as a framework on how to have these conversations. Um, it's in, it's in the show notes. You can download it just as a PDF and, and keep it. Um, for, for yourself, modify it however you want. We just, we just want to help, we just want to help Pilates instructors, um, you know, as the best that we can. Um, so, 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 so with that, it's, I've totally lost my train of thought on that one. Good. Yeah, no, I, I think having a script, it's kind of like, you know, when we first teach our students how to teach and we give them a script a yeah. basic script. And we say, just practice this. And then with practice, you're going to gain confidence. You're going to gain your own voice and then you're going to make it your own. And so I think having a script or a framework, it's not to, for anybody to memorize or it's not for anybody to memorize. It's really just to help you find your own words until you find your own words and feel confident because honestly, and this is something that I was talking to 
my recent graduates, we just had graduates in the program um, at Breathe. And what I was telling them as kind of my parting words is, no matter how you're feeling on the inside, you need to have confidence, right? Like, because people will trust you more and you get, you just have more street cred when you can be confident about it. So if there are ways that we can practice confidence, one of those ways is to just have something in your back pocket. If you feel like, um, someone's going to ask you a question, especially when it comes to things like, why are you doing that so differently than, than, than we are? I think sometimes what I see on, especially on Instagram is that by and large, many, many people are just curious. They're curious. They're intrigued. There are definitely a minority of people who are out to be mean and to be judgmental. Those people are, I don't think are really fixable, but there's such an opportunity to share different ideas and new ideas within the, in, in, in the industry. So I think having a few scripts in your back pocket or some ideas of talking points of what you might want to say so that you can have these really cool conversations with people and, and introduce people who may not even be aware that there's a different way of doing things. And in fact, I have a couple stories. I have one story. Um, so my friend, Robin, Robin Paula, shout out. She Hello. teaches at uh, Club Pilates and um, she's had a couple of instructors either take her class or observe her class. Uh, instructors who are recently graduated or they're in a different training and they have commented on Robin's style of teaching and just a lot of them are just really intrigued by it and and they they can see that Robin is really effective in the way that she cues. And I just think that's such a wonderful opportunity, right? Is to be able to share, share it as what you're doing and then be able to back it up, you know, have, have a little bit of preparation so you can have, have those conversations. It's just like with anything when you, especially in an interview setting, since we're going, I'll, I'll bring it back to hiring managers. You want to be prepared, especially when you're doing things a little bit differently, have, you know, be prepared, have, have some ideas about why you do the things you do. And that's true for all of us. Whenever we're teaching, I really think it's valuable and important as a teacher that if we teach something that we, we know why we're doing what we're doing. It's kind of like when you were in school, were you ever in it? Like for me, it was math class. I would ask my teacher, like, why are we learning this? Why is this important to me? And it would frustrate me so much when a teacher would be like, I, I don't know, just because that's what we're learning. And I'm thinking, then I don't want to be here. <laughs> so, you know. Have yeah. your reason. <laughs> Have some reasons. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, that's my current experience right now. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so yeah, no, I, I, it's, I love how you mentioned that it's like, like, um, in your, in your words, you, I mean, or you put it in your words, what I understand is like, this is a framework and, and that it's not meant to be a script in terms of like, read this exact thing and don't deviate. It's just to generate ideas because sometimes you get inspired from a conversation and then it's like two weeks later and you're like, what did they say? This is just a resource that you can come back to and be like, oh yeah. And it sparks some ideas in your brain so you can use your own voice and your own words. Um, and it's just, and, and you can leave it if you hate it. It's like, this is useless. Then like, don't use it. But for someone who's like, oh, this is awesome, right? That's why we just created it for you just as a gift to you. And, and, and one thing that's also like important to highlight with this is like the um we're talking about like evidence-based queuing but like non-evidence-based queuing is also fine like you're yeah. you're still helping tons of people and you're still good enough you're still awesome you're still applying education that you paid to learn so use it and then this is just an opportunity or an invitation to consider um to consider like um maintaining like that cognitive agility to continue to learn and to grow and, and if something sparks your interest to, you know, I encourage you to look into that and, and, and apply it. And at the end of the day, like internal cues are not bad. There's actually some times where they're, they're useful and right. then external cues are not always good, right? Mm -hmm. You can, you can go on, I talked about it in a previous episode, like you can go on like a wild story, right? This imagery, external imagery, where you're just trying to like get someone to stand up. <laughs> and you can use the shit out. Right? Yeah. So it's like 
there's an art to the application and, and you are the artist to, to your class and like no one will ever teach like you. And um, so all of this is just hopefully inspiration to, to maintain an open mind and continue to consider um, how to grow. And then if you are doing that, also providing you some resources on like, hey, if you're confronted with uncomfortable conversations, what are ways that like we would recommend trying to handle it? And part of that is like providing you like a framework of a conversation and then also like some some links to research that you can share with with people to help support and also you could read you know like please read them they're really useful um but i am conscious of um of time uh natalie like is there like any like closing uh remarks um, or our general messages that you'd like to provide uh the listener oh huh I, I mean, I'm trying to imagine who your audience is and who is wanting to, you know, who is interested in the, in the stuff that you're putting out. And I imagine we're probably preaching to the choir. So I think if, if there is, what I'd like to say to everybody is just Pilates is a really lonely business. You know, you're on stage by yourself oftentimes, um, we're always, oftentimes, if, especially if you're working in a studio, you're just ships passing through the night. One person comes in to teach and then you leave and somebody else comes in. So I think for me, I think the biggest thing is to have a community of people, an actual community of people. I mean, not just on Instagram, which is great, but actually having connections with people who you can share ideas with and get support from, share the shitty moments and the really good moments. and. Um, that really helps because I think sometimes, you know, the, well, let me back up a little bit. Part of the genesis of, of us having this conversation, Adam, is that I've had a couple of students who had some not very positive run-ins with other Pilates colleagues and they were, they felt really small in the, in that, in those interactions. And they felt very unprepared in those interactions because they are teaching in a way that's different to what is the mainstream, uh, tradition. And, and so, you know, I think one strategy is what we we're just talking about, which is to have some, to have, to have some stories in your back pocket about why you do the things that you do. I think that's definitely one strategy. But I think the other strategy is to remember that you are in a community of like-minded people who are all trying to, number one, have fun and to level up their skills. Because really that's what it boils down to is just we're trying to provide a, the best service that we can to our clients. So having a, having a community of people who you can share your wins and losses with so that you know you're not alone. I think is really just, that's what's made all of the difference for me. Yeah. yeah what about you? I mean, beautifully said, like shout out to community and like maintaining your tribe. Um, yeah. All I would say is I just thank you to those listening, right? And, and just by listening to the conversation demonstrates your own cognitive agility. And even if this is something that's not new information, there's a skill in how to teach it, right? So maybe like this helps you learn how to teach other instructors to handle conversations and things of that nature. And, and, and for, for anyone who's ever feels like an outcast in a Pilates studio, um, I've certainly been that way. Um, I'll spare you the stories. Um, but one thing I'd like to leave you with is that you, it's okay if everyone doesn't like you because you don't like everyone anyways. Like you don't have to, you don't always have to fit in and, and, and don't ever, I, I would recommend not prioritizing fitting in over your values and over what you're learning. Um, because at the end of the day, you should find your tribe. And um, when you have the right tribe, they don't mind. Um, <laughs> awesome. That's right. And so um, so with that, how could, um, so people uh, probably want to stay in touch with you, Natalie. How, how could someone stay in, um, in touch with you and see where you're up to? Mm, I think the best way is probably on Instagram at this point. Um, yeah, Instagram. Natalie go. Wilson Pilates. Yeah, uh, her in uh, Instagram handle will be in the um, in the chat. 
are in the um, show notes. That's what they're called. With that, thank you, Natalie, uh, for coming on the Evidence-Based Pilates Podcast. And thank you, everyone, uh, for your time and your attention. And until next time, stay awesome. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And in return, I would love it if you could leave a positive review so that I know that you're listening and benefiting from this podcast. I do this 100% for free from my spare time, and I just want to help the Pilates industry learn and grow. And when reviews grow on a podcast, they become more visible and therefore more helpful to the community. Um, as always, you're welcome to, to reach out to me personally as well for any of your thoughts, as well as a request for future episodes. And of course, if you'd like to learn more, you are welcome to go to the Evidence-Based Pilates platform with the link in my bio and browse any of the courses that we have to offer. Uh, have an incredible day.